a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Michelle Scharf. And I am Jenny Taylor, and we are excited today to have a pretty serious conversation with a good friend of mine who I met through the military. He'll tell you a little of his background, but he is a former soldier. He's a veteran and went to West Point and all kinds of cool things. Our paths cross. We now both currently serve as civilian aides to the Secretary of the Army in our respective states. But babe, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jenny. Michelle, thank you so much for having me. It's yeah. such, a, such an honor to be to be on y'all's show. Thank hey, you. we're we're excited to have you here, and we've got to have you introduce yourself, including your name, because people might think it's weird that I'm calling you Babe through the microphone. But um, Babe John is his is his name, and he and I met right before the pandemic started. We had a conference together in D.C. with the other civilian aides, and I just remember there being something about you from the beginning where I could tell you had a hunger for life and a hunger for helping other people find that hunger for life. So, babe, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and your family? Of course, introduce us to your name. And then let's get started on this great journey that has given you such a drive today to do so much of what you're doing right now. Well, my goodness, Jenny, that feel, does that not feel like 18 years ago when we yeah. were there? Like when you just Several lifetimes ago. Like, holy smokes, right? Yeah, it was on um, the eve of the and, pandemic. You know, after yesterday, the eve of the pandemic, right? Yes. And and just um, even yesterday, I, I was just thinking about this and dropping you a Father's Day note, which I know is all, always an emotional day for the Taylor family. I was just thinking that was the second Father's Day that I've known you. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah, time does fly. But yeah, my, 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 my real name is Babe John Michelle, so it wasn't Jenny just uh, you know you know trying to get a trying to get a cheap date with me. Um, that that is my my real name. My my grandfather's nickname was Babe. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, uh, and I live now in a suburb of Cleveland, about 20 miles east, called Chesterland. But I but I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and my grandfather was in the Navy. Never graduated from high school and was just the smartest, best man I've ever known. You know, you talk about the greatest generation. Uh, he, he was in the Navy, so that was maybe the only negative part of his whole entire life. Um, <laughs> he, he didn't graduate from high school, and he used to sell newspapers on the street corners of East 9th Street and Prospect, which is uh, in downtown Cleveland here. And what happened back in those days is I think they were, you know, he's part of the greatest generation, and they were selling for like a nickel, a nickel per paper. And what would happen was they would have to fight on the street corners of Cleveland in order to be able to sell newspapers on that particular street corner. And he got the nickname Fighting Babe because my, my grandfather was, I guess he was really good at confrontation and he was really good at fighting. So his nickname, uh, his entire life was Babe and his real name was John. So my father, I was his first son and my father named me Babe John after my grandfather. So when people normally make fun of my name, I, I normally start by making some off-color joke or say, you know, say, say something that's a lot more serious than that. But um, it's something that I've, I'm just so proud of because... Uh, it was a tough name to grow up with. It made me thick skin. But as I look back now on my life, um, you know, it's one of the, it's just one of the biggest blessings because I've always I've learned that you know there's three names we're given in life, right? The the, the one that your last name, which 
that's pretty much that, that comes from from God and then your name your parents give you and then the one you make for yourself so I, I've always tried to make my grandfather proud because uh you know and Father's Day passing here he, he was he was probably the person I looked up to the most in this world but uh like I said I grew up grew up here in Cleveland Ohio you know I just kind of working backwards um I never had any desire to join the military um, I was in high school playing, uh, my dad was a high school basketball coach and I, I was, a I don't even know what the word for it is, a gym rat, I guess. I just grew up in a gym my whole life because my dad was a high school basketball coach and I just, I, I wanted someplace to play division one basketball. So, um, my choices at the time were Princeton and, and, and West Point to play division one basketball and, and my parents couldn't really afford Princeton and, um, you know, so what West Point it was, I mean, those were the only two places recruiting me and it was like oh you, you know you have to serve you, you have to serve five years afterwards and and I didn't care anything to um for the opportunity to play division one basketball I was willing to put in the work plus when I found out Bobby Knight and you know, Mike Krzyzewski both went or both had, were dealing with West Point and I'm like okay that, that that's the place for me and I look back now and it's just kind of silly and I know I'm talking to two Utah girls here and Jenny and I have talked often about you know Stockton and Malone and all those great teams and and uh, just the, the history behind with, with the Utah Jazz. It's kind of silly when you think about like my path because um, you know, as as what Jenny and I do now, as Nates, the Secretary of the Army, we're, we're trying to convince young people on why to join the nation's greatest team. And I look back now, and the only reason I did was to play Division One basketball. And if I had a list one through a hundred, you know, this is the most important thing in my life, and this is the least important. Playing basketball at West Point was probably a hundred, meaning the least important. Um, as Jenny talked about, uh, you know, everything good in my life came from my decision to go to West Point and to join the Army. I, I met my wife there, uh, who's also a, a really good athlete and a, a whole heck of a lot smarter than, than me. But I met my wife there. I made so many lifelong friends there. Um, everything, you know, good in my life came stemmed from that decision to, to attend the, the United States Military Academy at West Point. So f- from there, I was um, uh, commissioned uh, as an infantry officer. I went in and, and, and had some concussions, just some concussions from, from playing basketball and from boxing and just from some other things. So at, at some point, um, I was just I was blacking out during during my time as an infantry officer, and they gave me a choice to branch transfer, meaning to either go into a desk job or get out of the army. And Jenny, I, I know you know this man well, but uh, at the time, uh, General Dempsey, as in the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, was actually an 06. He was a colonel in the army. And he kind of knew what I was going through. And he's like, well, listen, um, they don't have joint domicile, but if you want to be stationed with Laura, who, who was my wife, he's like, you're going to have to, um, you know, you're going to have to maybe take a desk job and, and you're going to you know, have to do some other things. And he said, I can make it happen, but act like, act like they made it happen. And I said, yes, sir, that's no problem. And, and that's what he did. And I, I went out and state, was stationed as an AG officer out in Fort Lewis, um, Right, where I served for five years. During that time, I was able to, to play for and coach the All-Army all and All-Armed Forces basketball team, which was an awesome experience. Um, had a, had a um, I'm trying to pick the right words here, ladies. Uh, in my eyes, probably a, what I would consider a lackluster military career, meaning I, I didn't really do as much as I wanted to. You know, I always felt, hey, I'm a West Point graduate. I was top of my class in, in the infantry officer basic course and I wanted to do more. And I think as I get to my story, I think that kind of weighed on me. Or as a matter of fact, I know it weighed on me a lot. But uh, after that, I, my wife and I both got out after five years. Um, that's another hilarious story that we could probably tell in another podcast. But I was actually sitting on a train with her 
telling her how, how cool and how smart I was. Uh, I had no idea that she went to West Point as well. And I was pretty much bragging about myself for an hour and she just let me go and make a complete idiot out of myself. <laughs> uh, so I found out that, that, that she, that, yeah, that she went through. I was yeah, well, saying, yeah, West Point's harder to get into Princeton and Harvard. And I'm this awesome basketball player. And turns out she's went to West Point too. And it was a much better player than I, than I ever was. <laughs> but, um, but so, so, so after that, I, when I got out of the military, I, um, I needed to, uh, I needed to, my wife wanted to become a doctor. It was always her lifelong goal since she was a little girl. And again, I, I had these dreams where I thought I was going to coach in college. I thought I was going to be a college basketball coach. And um, to make a super long story short, I did a bunch of interviews and I ended up working for a cancer diagnostics and molecular testing company called Ameripath. Uh, I just, at, at the time I was working for, I was volunteering for a college basketball team in Kansas City where my wife went to med school called the University of Missouri, Kansas City. They were going to pay me in a year when I was making like in a month in, in sales. So I, I just, I've often told people sales was like the one thing where I could just go and just be pretty good at without, without really putting in much effort. So I was, you know, I, I wasn't very smart. I made it through West Point. I wasn't very, uh, I don't know. I, I was a five eleven white guy that played division one basketball, but yet um, I can, I got my wife to somehow marry me. So I always felt like sales was the one thing I could always just go. And, <laughs> I mean, she could only say no so many times before. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to go ahead and spend the rest of my life with you. And uh, I, I just, I had a, I had a, a very lucrative career. It was, it was really, really great to me at the time. I had a doctor and a doctor kept asking me, so wait a minute, you have no sales experience and you have no medical experience. And I, I feel like uh, it's kind of like, that was kind of like the, the story of my life. Like when I was in high school, my guidance counselor said, don't even apply to West Point. You have no chance of getting in there. And I just kind of always thrived off people telling me I couldn't do something. Um, that was something that, that my grand my, my grandpa Dave taught me. You know, don't, don't, don't you ever let somebody, you know, write your book. You know, don't you ever let somebody, you know, label you. And at that moment I decided, okay, I'm going to West Point. You think I can't make it. And it was the same thing when I talked to that doctor, like, okay, I'm taking this job and I'm going to show you. And I did, I was rookie of the year, sales rep of the year. Uh, in the top five every year I was there and then I was sales director um, of the year in 2010. So then once my wife made it through med school and she was a practicing physician, I came back to Cleveland because she did a residency here in Ohio. And um, it was just, it got to a point where I, I was coaching high school basketball and it got to be too much doing both jobs. And uh, I, it's actually at the same high school that I, that I went to. Uh, that I coached with with my dad and you know it, it was kind of a crazy point Jenny when you and I met because actually going there uh, I remember we got I got sworn in in August of 2019 trying to think that was February right 2019 when, when we met yeah February um, 2020 you oh wow yeah well, well, you, right. yeah right. you got That's sworn right. in in August of 19 um, I got sworn in of January of 20 and the conference was literally the end of February as Italy was shutting down with the pandemic incredible isn't it yeah yeah so there's my claim to fame, Michelle. I was the youngest civilian aide uh, in the history of the United States of America at 43 until this Jenny Taylor came along and screwed up my my fame. So, <laughs> hey, I gave you like I gave you like five months of fame, babe. Come on, run with it. What'd you do with that five months, buddy? <laughs> and I enjoy the attention, Jenny. You know that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And um and yes, yeah, so so uh, and then right after that, I actually was let go. I, so I was coaching for 10 years at Bill Angelo St. Joseph High School. And I, we won three state championships and we're on ESPN three times and was very successful and a lot of politics and a lot of things that um, were probably out of my control. And and I ended up getting fired. And, and, and uh, you know, I was um, 
I don't even, I don't even know the words to describe. Just kind of weird. But I, looking back, God does everything for a reason, and I'm, and I'm, I'm really, really blessed for for His, you know, for His purpose. And and um, yeah. And now I kind of sit in front of you um, as a lifelong friend, Jenny. I'm someone that um, I've always looked, you know, always looked up to, and you know, know my entire life kind of thought like, okay, this is what I was supposed to do. Is I was supposed to coach. You know, and now, and I'm sure as we'll get into the crux of our conversation here, uh, I've learned that it's it's a whole lot more than that. That it's not really my purpose. It's Thy will be done, and, and God's purpose. And and I know we even come from different religions, but but I also know we serve the same God, yeah. right? And just in, in that story and, and that path, um, I'm just kind of amazed. And I, I know much like yourself, because I've heard your heard your TED talks, and, and I've talked to you on a personal note. Like, just don't really believe that things happen on accident and Uh, I feel like that's probably why I'm on your podcast right now. Absolutely. All right, babe, we're going to take a quick break. I appreciate your background in introducing us. And then, like you just said, when we come back, we want you to get into the crux of it. Sounds like you've kind of got a dreamy life. I mean, your wife's finished medical school. You're both West Point grads. You're both five years of service to our country. Life's going great with your profession. Life's going great uh, coaching basketball until it's not. But uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we want to tell you where things started to go south. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, babe. So tell us, where did where did life start to unravel itself? Yeah, that's I'm asked that question a lot, Jenny. And, and you know, I think um, that's the thing about this. And I know I'm going to be tugging at y'all's heartstrings because with Michelle's history, with cancer and uh, with what you've gone through, I was sick, you know, and, and you look at when someone has cancer, you know, we'll, we'll and, I, and I went through this with my wife twice. I, I lost a sister to ocular melanoma in 2006. We'll run. Um, to help them out, right? But uh, when somebody is mentally ill, um, as I was, you know, we don't. So in 2015, we just won our second state championship in Cleveland. And like you said, I, on the periphery, it looked like I had it all. And it looked like I was somebody who, who was, um, you know, just on top of the Through my social media, like, man, this guy's got it all. He's got this incredible wife, this incredible family. And uh Later, so I remember. I remember after winning the state championship in 2015. I remember my dad, who's coaching me uh, every year. I've been on a high school bench. She said, "What's up with you? You're, you just don't seem happy." And, and I and I and I wasn't. Uh, and again, I can't describe it. I, I'm not a doctor, so I don't really know in terms of like depression or 
but I, but I was sick. I was just in a, a deep, dark place. I had lost about, about 40 to 45 pounds. I had every test, you know, known to, known to man, um, in terms of my heart, in terms of everything. Basically it ended up causing a lot of stress in my marriage, right? I, I, my wife and I love to brag about her. She was top of her class, top of her class at West Point and first of her class in med school. And she would say, you know, no, this is anxiety. This is, this is, this is depression. And I'm like, like, are you kidding me? Like this pain is in my chest. Uh, I mean, I probably had 15 trips to the emergency room Wow. and I'm just like, so you're telling me, you're telling, yeah, you're telling me that this is, here's a guy who uh, has done all these things and you're telling me that I'm, I'm stressed out. Like uh, there was just such a negative stigma, right. Involved with it. And um, in November of 2015, um, it kind of just kind of came to a head. I, I took a bunch of pills and I tried to drive off a cliff. I, I tried to, I tried to take my own life. Uh, after that, um, about a, about a week later, this will mean something to the Utah, Utah jazz fans out there. Uh, about a week later, I had the plans to do it again. And, uh, a kid that played for me, it was a kid by the name of Derek Parton played at Northwestern. So I was going to Chicago to watch him play because I was actually on a leave of absence for basically just going off on the administration, which which I completely own, just by being depressed, on edge, anxious, all of the above. And so I was on a leave of absence, and uh, I was going out to Chicago to watch uh, one of my players play. Now, his coach was was Chris Collins, who was Doug Collins' son. Now, Doug Collins obviously is the old coach for the Chicago Bulls. So uh, I, I was staying at his house because I befriended him through various like Under Armour camps. So one year I was out in um, out in Oakland working at Steph Curry camp, and I and I befriended Coach Collins, and we just kind of hit it off because I don't know Coach Collins is just an incredible man. And again, to make I'll make a super super long story short, I was sitting in his living room, and uh, as after the game, Ohio State just played Northwestern, and I was eating a, a cheeseburger from Costco or Sam's Club, and I still remember that cheeseburger, which is kind of crazy because I don't remember a lot from that. But I still, I had plans. Okay, I, I failed in my suicide attempt, and I had plans to do it again. And I can, rem, I mean, I can remember vividly. Coach looked me in the eye and said, "He called me captain because I was a captain of the United States Army." He said, "Cap, you're you're messed up." Uh, he used some other language that we won't repeat on your show, <laughs> but um, he said, "You know, you're you're. I can tell when someone's messed up. You're, you're messed up." And he goes, "You you think winning basketball games is going to bring you happiness? Like you, it's like you you got to go get help." And, um, and that was the week where, where I came home and I told my wife, like, yeah, I'll go see somebody. I'll go get help for this. And if I didn't, I, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be alive. Uh, you know, nobody, nobody beats the invisible enemy alone. Jenny, I know, I know I've talked about you with that and I know you have some history in your own family, but nobody beats us alone. You know, rewinding back, I, I went six years without coming out with my story and I, I just couldn't, I, um, I don't know. I, I I still don't know how to describe it. It was too painful. I, I, I would compare it to being an abused child. We won another state championship in 2017, and it was almost like I was I was vindicated. I was verified. Okay, I'm I'm never gonna have to, I'm never gonna have to talk about it. You know, to to uh, to bring it up again. And I was actually given a keynote on leadership, and I was working with a, a college volleyball team here in, in the area. And I was working with a team and got super close with some of these gals, and they, they were awesome. And um, uh, trying to think, the, the summer before the pandemic hit, uh, a gal, um, th- th- no, that summer, she she took her own life. I still have the email. A girl wrote me and she said, uh, "Hey, Captain Claus, um, so and so decided, you know, she 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 took her own life." And I, and I walked in my living room, um, 
that that day. And I told I told Laura, I said, I'll, I'll never not tell my story again. And she goes, well, you're not going to save everybody. I go, but yeah, but if I, if I save one person, it isn't worth it. And so that's what I try to do. Uh, then I think June of that year, uh, there's a guy by the name of David Nurse who does a one percenter podcast, like the one I'm talking to now. And that was the first time I ever, I ever, I ever told my story. That was the first time I ever, um, in public, said, "Okay, I, I try to take my own life. Here's, here's how I try to do it." You know, people, it's, it's funny. People always ask about the facts. They're like, "Well, what, what happened with the cliff?" And I, I really don't know. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I, a couple months ago, my son, and maybe I see this picture, Jenny. So, but my son. Um, was playing in an AU tournament. So I actually went back to the spot where I thought thought I'd try to drive up a cliff. And wouldn't you know it, there was actually a barricade that was brand new uh, or looked brand new. And Jenny, I sent it to one of our mutual friends, Craig Wilhelm, who's a mentor of mine. And I said, Craig, uh, does this look new? And he's like, he goes, yeah, brother, that looks new. And uh, it, it, was a, it was pretty emotional because it was like God was telling me like, hey, knucklehead, you know, don't get any ideas. And, and and yes, I do have suicidal thoughts. I I have them. Uh, yes, I do have them. Uh, but I'm to the point now where where I know uh, that, my, that my wife and my kids need me. I, I know my friends need me, and I know that that the purpose God has for me is much is much bigger than the pain that I went through. And the other thing I'll say, and I know this will resonate with both of you, especially with you, Jenny, is I, I heavily compare it to. You know, like when when Brent was deployed, you know better than anybody that the people who have most of the stress and anxiety and are the families. The people I hurt the most are, are is my wife, uh, are my kids. You know, that's probably the most painful part, uh, along with my friends who who say, "My goodness, you know, why didn't you say something?" And um, the day after I got sworn in, I actually had lunch with General Bob Brown, four star retired in, in Hawaii. He was the closest thing to my father that I've ever had in my life. And, and I, and I told him I was going through some stuff and he's like, well, I wasn't there for you. And he got all emotional. And, uh, he's like, I wasn't there for you. I'm like, sir, how, you can, how can you say you weren't there for me? You fought and you literally led our country in two wars. But I, even then I couldn't tell him, I couldn't say, sir, I tried to kill myself. And fast forward. Um, when I came out with that podcast, I sent him a podcast and I said, sir, just listen to this. And I, 53 minutes later, he called me. He, I can tell he was crying. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said his, the first words out of his mouth, well, I'm proud of you. And I can compare it to like being in the field for three days where the rain's coming down and you're in the mud and all you want is for the sunshine to hit your face. And uh, for him saying he was proud of me was uh, something I'll, I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll never forget because it was like, okay, this is okay now to come out with, you know, it's okay for me to talk about it. And then he said his next words were, you're going to save lives. And he said, the reason why your story is going to be so powerful is because of the thousands and thousands of guys who's ever, and guys and gals who've ever worked for me. You're the last guy I would ever think that would go through this. You know, you're the most positive, energetic. Um, and and, I'll, and that, that was something that was, um, that was something I'll never forget. So I, you know, I hear a lot of excitement and energy and, and like a zest for life in your voice. So I can imagine that, um, I think that if I knew you personally in the real world, I, I would never think that this would be something you struggle with. You said a few minutes ago that you still you still have these thoughts. This is ongoing. Yes, Michelle. You know, if you ask, I mean, you, and you can ask Jenny about my personality. There's there's A, and then there, I'm probably triple A, right? I, I would make coffee nervous. That's, but yeah, I mean, 
you got to get to a point where, you know, I talk, I told you about my grandfather, mm -hmm. right? And um, something that's always stuck with me is you write your own story. Yeah. And I think to myself, like, holy smokes. And, and I use the hashtag on my social media of winners win. And when I'm talking about that, I'm not talking about the scoreboard. I'm not talking about like being first or the only way you really lose in this life is if you quit. And yeah, you absolutely. Mm -hmm. And is if you don't give your best. And it's really the only time in my life where I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit. Uh, I'm done. And, you know, you just got to get to a point where you say, no, this is not how my story is going to end. That could have been the end of my story, the end of the book. And at that point, the devil has written my story or, or, or voices in my head that aren't telling me the truth. That are, the, 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 the devil's a liar. And I'm hearing things that aren't true, that I'm not a good enough father, that I'm not a, um, never being deployed and, and not serve, that I didn't serve our country. And I'm hearing all these things that are, are absolutely not true. And at that point, it's like, OK, this is not the end of my book. This is just a chapter of the book. And the person who's going to write my book is going to be me. And it's not going to be, you know, some voice in my head that's that's lying to me and telling me things that that are not true. And folks have asked me so many times, Michelle and Jenny, like, what saved you? And uh, I absolutely had to get help. Just like if you're going to be cancer, you, you would have to go to a doctor, correct? Like, I don't think, or at least not that I know of, I don't think anybody beats cancer on their own. Nobody beats the invisible enemy on their own. So if I didn't go get help, I wouldn't be here. That's number one. Number two, uh, people ask me about medication. And, and yes, I have to take the proper me medication. But the, the thing that saved my life is love. My wife told me she loved me every day at a point where I probably didn't deserve her love anymore. People have asked to interview her about this. She won't talk about it. I don't blame her. She should never have to talk about it. Uh, having gone through her own struggles with, with breast cancer, you know, it, this is, it's just, it's too hard for her to talk about. But every day she, she told me she loved me. Um, and she, she, even if it was just, you know, scratching my back or when I was having a panic attack and I literally felt like I was going to die, just telling me it was going to be okay. I would tell all your listeners that nobody's ever died from being loved too much. And when it comes to the United States Army veteran, I think there's this big misconception that post-traumatic stress syndrome, it comes from, you know, killing someone or watching, watching someone be killed. And, and uh, not that that's not a heavy, heavy burden, but the number one component for the United States Army veteran is guilt, is for the fact that they let people down. And that's what I was suffering from, was an, an inordinate amount of guilt. And, um, you know, 51% of our veterans who have taken their own lives have never been deployed. Come 2023, we will have more veteran suicides than post-combat deaths since 9-11. Is that number not staggering? That's, That's staggering. Uh, the, other one I'll, the other one I'll put on you is that when somebody takes their own life, according to, to Harvard, their kids are four times more likely to take their own life. You know, and going back to what I was just telling, what, what back what I was just telling Jenny about, you know, about how your spouse is the one or your kids are the ones that, I mean, I put my kid, I put my wife and my kids to hell. Um, but just just this last September, and I apologize because this is really hard to talk about. Um, There's no need my, for apologies uh, my, my on this podcast. Friend, yeah, <laughs> my my best friend uh, in February, he he, uh, he killed himself, and um. He was very sick. He, uh, he actually he actually shot his wife uh, three times 
she lived. I actually saw her this weekend for the first time since she, since she was shot by him. Um, and uh, going through that was was eight times harder than what I went through myself. Because again, like I said, when it's people you love and you, uh, I had so many people say, oh, there's nothing you can do. And uh, you kind of get sick of hearing that because if there's nothing I can do, then like I said from the start, you know, what am I doing here? Um, the way it was described to me was, you know, it was like, it was like, it was like, it's just like staging cancer. I probably had stage one. My buddy at stage four, he was, he, he was hearing voices inside his head, slamming his head on the ground and, you know, doing some pretty, pretty crazy stuff. And, but the reality is if, if my stage one didn't get treated, ladies, I, I wouldn't be here talking to you. I love that um, you're bringing so, you know, th- this to, to our show, to our podcast, you, you know, um, losing a spouse. I I've been in therapy. I was in therapy before my spouse died and I have continued afterwards. And I think it was about maybe four or five, maybe six months ago. I finally asked my, my therapist, I said, is it normal to hear voices in your head? Like I hear voices in my head and I think I'm going crazy. And she goes, Oh honey, sometimes I'm doing group therapy in my head. (laughs) So I'm like, I think sometimes we don't realize because it's not something we talk about, right? We don't go around sharing with each other. I'm like, I hear myself saying these things to myself. Like we don't talk in that way. We don't converse in that way. We don't share our hidden demons or our hidden thoughts or, you know, it's not something we ever talk about. So I seriously didn't well, Michelle, know. Listen, I, we, 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 we cannot have trust without the truth. So we all want to mourn when this happens, but none mm-hmm. of us, we, we don't want to do anything when, when someone's going through it. Right. And that, right. and that is, that's the problem. Like, let me give you an example. And, and listen, I'm, I'm probably, I don't want to make this a political debate or like I said, it or religious, but Jenny and I are pretty well aligned, I think, when it comes to those type of things. But I'll give you a great example. When I moved out here, uh, when meaning I moved 20 miles out in the suburbs, I, I told my wife, I'm like, okay, we need to have, we need to get a gun. Uh, we need to get a what? And my wife is like, are you a flipping idiot? She's like, she goes, listen, alcoholics shouldn't sleep with bourbon and people who've tried to take their own lives shouldn't sleep with a, a gun under their bed. So, you know, and, and I was talking to General Brown, General Ham. I'm like, listen, I'm not anti-Second Amendment. I'm not trying to take anyone's guns away. I'm just telling you in my own personal story, if I had a weapon, there would not be an attempted suicide. There would just be a suicide. Right. I would not be here. So if I can just tell somebody one thing and going back to my buddy story, like he had two weapons under his bed. And I know, I mean, I'm looking at his, I mean, his wife who is, uh, and, and talk about, and talk about a story and, and eventually Jenny, you're, you're somebody uh, I would love for her to talk to because American hero. I think the story she's going to be able to tell um, as, as your story, as you know, it just means so much to me. Uh, there, there's probably two times where I just, like I told Jenny this weekend, I, I know God has forgiven me, but it is, it's tough to forgive myself. But the two hardest times, one of them was, was past Memorial Day. is because I, I told my story and I had a Gold Star family come up to me, uh, the Thibodeau family, who they lost their, they lost their son. He was, a, he was a pilot. And, you know, this weekend was Father's Day. And I just think, you know, what, the, what those Taylor kids would do with, for one more minute with their dad. 
and and that's just you know that's just really tough tough for me to to stomach and um and then the other the moment for me was this past September I was uh, blessed is probably the wrong word uh, lucky enough to go into the Ohio Veterans Hall of Fame and I'm I'm sitting there with uh going into a Hall of Fame with Ulysses S Grant and John Glenn and Neil Armstrong and Woody Hayes like oh oh my goodness and they were getting ready to uh, it was during COVID. So the governor's office was here, but you know, they were doing it kind of remotely and uh, it was my turn to speak. And and what they didn't know was the night before um, my wife was given a clean um, bill of health. And, you know, I, Jenny will tell you, I, I feel like I'm pretty good on my feet. I, I could talk a little bit at least. And, and I couldn't say a word. I couldn't get a word out because I just started, I just thinking about like, like none of this matters. I mean, none of it. I mean, you know, the, um, the awards we win, the money we make, you can't take any of it with you. Nope. you know, all that matters is yep. our is our relationship with God, is our relationship with each other. You know, I know my my beautiful redhead friend on this other line. She would do anything for you know for one more for one more second with her husband. And here I was, you know, trying to trying to take myself and my beautiful family. And um, you know, we we need to understand that sometimes we got to save each, we got to save people from themselves and. I'm telling you, ladies, if, if this was this was I'm not here because of me, you know, that's my whole point. I, and, 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 and I got to tell you, it's not all sunshines and rainbows. I, I know I know you all are so you feel so um, grateful that I'm telling my story for your listeners. But I, I take my share of shots. I've had people say, oh, you're a narcissist. You're I'm like, OK, well, let, let's let, let's dive into that. So saying let's say what you're saying is true. Let's say let's say that I am a narcissist and I'm just doing this for attention. So if what you're saying is accurate, the only thing I could do to prove you wrong is kill myself. And how much sense does that make? So if somebody is just looking for attention, what's the harm in giving it to them? Is there any harm in giving it to them? I, I just don't know that there is. No, Nobody no. has ever died from being loved too much. Right. At least not that I know of. Absolutely. And, you know, so why don't we concentrate more on that? And, and, and I've maybe made this pivot in my life, ladies, where, like I told you at the beginning, I used to do things for people that doubted me. My guidance counselor said you wouldn't get into West Point. For people that said I wasn't good enough to play Division One basketball. And for folks that said I would never, you know, do this or be this. I don't do that anymore for those people. I, I, I do it for the people who love me, for the people who believe in me. And I, I just learned how powerful those phrases are. I love you. I believe in you. I'm proud of you. And I've tried to use those as many times as I can. And, and again, I, I, I don't want to get emotional, but when I want to be inspired, I, a lot of times I, I, I'm inspired every single time I watch Jenny's Taylor talk. Every single time I am. And I just think to myself, like, my goodness, um, here's, here's a gal who um, has been through it. And she's up there talking about not only how you should love your country, but why you should. And like I said, my, my, my friend was on my on my porch this weekend and, um, you know, her, her husband. Now, she knows it wasn't him. It was it was the sickness. But like, you know, it was dark. They lost electricity in Dallas and he never once showed any aggression. But she forgives him. Right. And, and she still loves him through all of that. And here she is with a trachea. And like, my goodness, like, uh, where do you get that type of a strength? And surely if, if people like. If Jen Johnson and, and Jenny Taylor can show that type of strength, then, then surely enough, all I can tell the truth, right? And so then, therefore, if I can tell the truth, then somebody's going to trust me. And if just one person can trust me, then one person won't have to go through 
what I went through. And more importantly, won't have to put their family through what I put my family. Well, I love your story and I really appreciate you coming on and sharing it with us. There are so many points that you bring up that are so important. Number one, somebody said that you needed help and you finally took the step, which takes a huge amount of strength from the person who has to, you are that only person that can make that next step, which is to get the help. And you did that. And thank you for doing that. I well, Michelle, love- you know, you said something. You were the only person. Like I, I and I'm good. I'm not. I'm not a doctor, and my and my, and my doctor mm-hmm. reminds me of that all the time. But I do want to say there are techniques that I've learned uh-huh. because listen, when you get to ninety percent of these, don't go the right way. Correct. Like so, ninety percent of people in my and once they get to that point, they're normally they're they're going to do it. And folks ask me all the time, well, what can you say? And what I've learned is I go on the offensive, right? I, I don't play defense. What do I mean by that is when you get to that point, you no longer care about yourself and what happens to you, right? So if you ask suicide survivors, I would say 99.9% of the time, they'll say, I'm glad I didn't do it because of my wife, because of my kids, because of the people who love me, correct? So therefore, what I like to do is when somebody's at that point, I flip it on them, especially the United States Army veteran, because they learned that the most important thing is the the person to their left and their portion on the right. And, and, you know, I never met Major Taylor, but I, I think he would agree with me. when I, if, if I was sitting there with him, I would say, and he was having suicidal thoughts, I would say, don't you do this to me. Because if you do this, you're going to ruin my life. And at that point, when you do that, you are taking it off them because they don't care about themselves anymore. And now they don't want to let their buddy down. And yeah. I have found that that technique uh, is, is much more powerful, especially when it comes to, Jenny and I's line of work because we our folks are so trained and ingrained to take care of each other that it has worked so many times and it's pretty awesome to see. Um, so when you say, hey, you have to take that step, I, I would almost even disagree, Michelle. It, it gets to a point where if somebody didn't force me to do that, you know, I, I, again, I wouldn't be here talking to you, right? right. If, if we really well, love each other, to my next... um, we're going to tell people... We're going to tell people what they want, what they need to hear, and not what they want. To hear. Yeah. Because I didn't want to hear it. Which goes to the next point that I was going to say that you brought up, and that's connection. And it's powerful. That's why we're all here. You know, we need each other. There's a purpose for you being here, not only for your family, but for the larger world as a whole. And sometimes um, we don't live our lives tapped into that, but it is absolutely true. And, um, it's powerful. It's powerful to be on this planet together at this time. And we're all here for a purpose. And we all have to do really hard things. We all have to endure hard things. Jenny lost her husband. I lost my husband. You know, there's been other tragedies in our lives. And everyone around us has all their own stories of their own hard, hard lessons and hard traumas that they've had to endure. But the most important thing is connection i remember in 2000 in 2006 i was taking my my sister to sloan kettering she was getting she was diagnosed with ocular melanoma that's why my wife became a dermatologist she she came to our house and she had a purple bump on her arm meaning it metastasized from her eye to the rest of her body uh it was stage four she was given three months to live i took her down to sloan kettering for chemotherapy and we go down there and she's got you know three months to live she ended up living for nine 
I, but I remember being, being mad at God and talking to my sister and my sister's name was joy. And, um, she was, she would say at the time she had a two-year-old son, he is 17 now. And I remember saying, you know, like, how do you, how do you say so positive? And she said, um, she said, uh, you know, well, maybe I'm going through this. So her son Thor doesn't have to. And I thought, wow, that's amazing perspective. But when you talk about connection, Michelle, she was down there getting chemo and I'll never forget this. You know, she's getting this, you know, I mean, and you know how that goes. I mean, she's getting the basically poison, which stops the proliferation of blood cells. Right. And you're just watching her get this poison pumped in her body. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, what's the point, right? She's got three months to make it. And her nurse that was giving her her, her um, chemo was, was pregnant. And my sister talk about connection starts talking to this nurse about getting ready to have a baby. And you could tell it was her first child. She was super nervous. So my sister has three months to live and she completely takes this conversation, right? With she's getting pumped with, with chemotherapy and she's completely changes the conversation and literally spends the next two hours talking and, and, and puts this girl's heart completely at ease with having her first child. And afterwards I just, I was just like, I was just awestruck. I'm like, like what a superpower, right? And she said, well, number one, when you give, you get, right? And she said, it made me not think about my own problems. And she said, secondly, she said, do you see, the, and this, excuse the word, but you see the joy in her heart, you know, from just, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you're, you're absolutely right, right? I mean, just connecting with, with people. Um, and so many times when you can get out of your own, you know, when you can get out of your own feelings, right? And, and especially us guys, we suck at this. Number one, we, we suck at talking about, we suck at talking about our own feelings. So how are we supposed to connect with somebody else and, and how they're feeling? And if there's one thing I've learned from the election and from all the stuff going on in our country is you can't tell people how to feel because they normally feel that way for a reason. I mean, there's a reason Jenny Taylor loves this country. There's a reason I feel the way I do about cancer. There's a reason I feel the way I do about mental health. There's a reason I feel the way I do about when someone says somebody's crazy or uh, you, you know, they're outside of their mind or we all feel the way we do because of our experiences. Right. The uh, lens so all that we can we're looking do is, through. is try to walk another mile in somebody else's moccasins and try to get to where they're at. And if we all did that, um, I think the world can be a, and at least and definitely our country can be a, mu- a much better place. Absolutely. Hey, I love this, babe. I've taken so many notes about, you know, this whole podcast is about resilience and it's about acknowledging the fact that life is hard and throws us curveballs that we would never have pictured ourselves facing. I know Michelle certainly didn't picture burying her husband from cancer. He was so strong and just active and healthy. And and you certainly are a positive, upbeat person. I'm sure you never thought you would struggle with this suicide ideation and mental illness. I was married to a soldier for 15 years and never thought I'd be a gold star widow. I mean, let's be honest. But I've I've written several notes of things. Let's talk about resilience if we can kind of wrap it up with these last few minutes here. resilience. I've written one of the things you've said several, several times. It's being able to tell the truth. I can't get the help. I can't give the help. I can't create the connection. I can't rise above whatever my it is 
if I'm not willing to tell the truth, and you've said that several times, you had to tell the truth to your friend, tell the truth to your wife, tell the truth to your doctor or your medical provider. Good heavens, tell the truth to yourself inside your head that this is hard, or I can't do this, or I need help, or he needs help, or she needs help. And I love that you talk about only when we're willing to tell the truth can we really make those connections? Can we really build that trust? And you also said telling the truth sometimes isn't what we want to hear. Let's be honest. Whether that's about a cancer or whether that's about suicide or whether that's about a divorce or a job loss or the list could go on. But being able to be Hmm. real, being able to be honest, being honest with ourselves and those around us, I think that is a huge thing you've taught me about resilience about being able to say in the same interview that you focus on winners win and you're never going to give up and you know God's got a purpose for you and you struggle sometimes with feeling like your life might not be worth living. Being so honest to say it's both. I think we live in a in a society where we're very or. I'm either faithful or I'm mm-hmm. fearful. I'm either mm-hmm. strong or I'm vulnerable. And I want to say, good heavens, no, we're both. I become stronger as I let myself be more vulnerable. I build my faith in God or humanity or whatever it is as I let myself acknowledge my fears. And so I love how you've you've brought that up to say, hey, we got to go on the offensive here. It's not going to work to play defense if that's all we're doing. You know, we've got to really be proactive, opening our mouths, opening our hearts, and finding someone I, we were in church yesterday having a great conversation with a woman who who was sharing a little of some of her struggles in life. And she said the number one thing her father has taught her at the time of recording yesterday was Father's Day. She said, he's taught me never to worry alone. That's all. Never worry alone. Mm-hmm. And if that means you have a counselor, mm-hmm. a spouse, a friend, a God, a journal, never worry alone. Find someone. Because most of the time, if we'll open up about our worries, we can either realize they're not as big as they feel like in our head. Or somebody could help us find help to carry that worry because maybe it's twice as big as it feels like in our head. But I love, I love the idea. We got to tell the truth. We got to open up and we've got to make sure we're not trying to worry alone. Um, in this country, we talk a lot about independence. You know that you mentioned my TED talk several times that we both come from a military family background and we love independence and freedom and, and we should be, uh, self-sufficient, self-reliant. We, we focus on that a lot, self-esteem, but really we're missing the boat. Not all independence is created equal. We're not talking about isolation. We're talking about interdependence, the healthy kind of dependence where for me to be independent as a human being, I need you. So that means I'm not really that independent anyway, but I'm independent enough to recognize my life depends on those around me. My ability to rise up out of bed every morning depends on the faith other people have in me and the faith I put in them and in God. And so if we can make sure we remember resilience, I mean, we call this relentless resilience, like we got to just keep being resilient over and over again. That doesn't mean isolation. That doesn't mean I have all the answers. Well, I think even this, Jenny, like, you even look at like TED talks and everything. And I was telling you got you gals before how it's the hardest thing in the world when I when I have to talk, especially to young a younger demographic, and I have to talk about taking, you know, committing suicide to a blank screen. I, I even think I would I love this format. I think keynotes are things of the past, Jenny. I really do. I think people get so much more, like I get more, right? Because when I when I give a keynote, I don't learn anything. 
I'm just up there talking and telling my own story. But yet today, I mean, I've learned a lot from talking to you and Michelle, right? And and listening and 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 it's and it's given me energy, bouncing this off off of you. Listen, we have an epidemic coming after this pandemic. We are we are pack animals. We are not meant to be isolated the way we were. And I mean, the suicide rate for for teenagers for young young adults is at an all time high in our country. Yeah, I mean, it is it is at an all time high. And I didn't mean to cut you off, but I even think even what we do with keynote speaking, uh, we're getting ready to do something for the uh, AUSA, Jenny. And, and one of the things, you know, they, they, they wanted me to give a keynote on suicide. And I said, you know what would be better than that? I said, have General Brown interview me. Because the reality is with the Army, if I couldn't tell him, who's like another father to me, how do we expect that team leader, that squad leader to tell his platoon sergeant, his first sergeant, his captain? I mean, this guy was was the most influential person in my life besides my father, Jenny. And I couldn't tell him because I can't even answer that, right? Because of pride, because of my feelings, because of whatever, right? So, well, so it was powerful get, that he... Get, we have to get better at getting involved. Well, and we I think the other message is, is that we need to be able to speak up and ask or call it out, right? He called it out to you. He said, hey, you're not right. We need to say to our family member, are you considering suicide? Are you okay? We can't yes. be afraid of asking Michelle, that. Michelle, I hear that all the time. People say that all the time. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was getting ready to to go and, and to do a keynote, and a guy said, well, we don't want to give anyone any ideas. You're never going to. No. People say that all the time, and it's just not It's just not, it's just not, not true. If people um, think that, gonna... yeah, people, the, the mistake, around it is is that people believe if they say or suggest it or ask somebody if they're thinking it that that is going to create it and nobody wants to hold that responsibility in actuality it's actually the opposite we have to start asking people we have to to say are you okay and just in the asking the message is i care enough about you that i'm really concerned i care enough that i'm i'm asking you this question and it's it's an uncomfortable and it's a hard question to ask, but I care about you and I want to know and, that and you're how safe. Hard is it? And, but think about it. And so now with in social media in this day and age, right, I can communicate with you ladies in Utah. I mean, it took me, it took me two minutes to send Jenny a text yesterday and say, I know this is a tough day. You have those seven beautiful children. Like I'm thinking of you today. I'm thinking of like that takes, that takes two minutes. Right. So here we are now in this information age where we can do this more than we ever could. And we're doing it as infrequently as we ever have like yeah. that's insane right it's it's it's, it's gross negligence it's unacceptable and absolutely the reality is. Michelle, in the army here's the truth if i was still in the army now this is just again this is just this is the world the book according to captain kwasniak this is my story if i was still in the army i'm i'm very confident my buddies would have never let me get to that point does that make sense uh-huh. so Again, I've never, I never met Brent Taylor, but I, I, I would bet my housewife and kids that if I was serving with him, that Major Taylor would look me in the eye and say, Captain Claus, like, dude. Look. So again, you get out of the army and you trade physical fitness for happy hour and you, the, the, what we are incredible at, and that's what I love the most about being on the greatest team in the world, uh, as I am there with, with my friend in, in Utah is, is like, we're awesome at teaching that, right? But part of that is what we're not doing is we're not doing this good enough, right? So if we were in combat, we call it reactive fire. If the enemy fires, we call it shoot, move, and communicate. We lift fire and shift fire. 
our squad would just sprint over to where to where our buddy is getting shot at. Yet it's happening in our own homes and we're not doing anything. We're leaving our buddy alone to die. Well, I think that that's the value of this podcast and this message, right? We have to start speaking up and we have to start doing something. We have to start talking about it. And I really appreciate you coming on and having this discussion with us today. I think that it does help to open up the conversation for those that will listen to our podcast, hear, hear your voice today and hear your message. I mean, I hear loud and clear. We we need to do more. We need to ask our friends how they're doing. We need to ask our family members. You know, there, there's a whole other um, group of people out there that we don't really think about. But now that I'm single and I've been going out to these singles groups, I've been realizing there's a lot of single people out there that have been very isolated and alone. They don't have their family members. They only see their kids part time mm-hmm. because they've been divorced or whatever. These people are really suffering and they're sad and they're lonely and they also need to be reached out to as well. So if you know a single person, who's your and, and neighbor, nobody, go out there and well, offer them a hug and nobody, check on them. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Well, nobody gets on Facebook too and says, nobody gets on Facebook and says, Hey, I'm, uh, I'm, I just got divorced. I just lost my job and I want to kill myself. Right. right. Um, so understand that that's the, that's someone's highlights. I can't tell you how many folks tell me, I can't tell you how many teenagers told me, well, coach, uh, my Snapchats are, my Instagram's not as good. Like that's not real life. Uh, again, you look at my social media and everyone's like, oh man, this guy, this guy had it all. Yeah. Well, no, I'm still struggling with those thoughts. And I'll go back to something, you know, you said, Jenny is, and you're so right is uh, when you just talk about, you know, God's plan and, for the longest, longest time, and, and Jenny, you know this because you're my friend, I, I still, it'll always be hard for me to talk about. I, I mean, I can remember first telling you, um, I mean, I can remember, you know, being one-on-one at the, at the CASA meeting and first kind of sharing my, my story with you. And then you tell me about your family. I mean, I knew I knew about your husband, but didn't know about your family and some of the history. And But it, it, it's hard. Um, and for the longest time, it, it was like there was just so much shame and guilt. Uh, and now, though... The thing is, sometimes behind your pain is God's purpose, right? So now it's almost impossible for me to be completely mad because the reality is, Michelle and Jenny, if I didn't go through this, I wouldn't be able to help people. And and listen, I, I'm I'm no doctor, and I'm definitely not, I'm definitely not a saint uh, or a savior. But the reality is, is like I have been able to help people, and the best therapy for me is to do that. Like it's the the greatest therapy I can get is being able to help somebody that was in that place that I was in. And, and the way I describe it, it's like, it's like I was in a concrete prison and it's like the door is right there and anybody else can see the door, but there's nothing in my mind that can tell you that the door was there. I was just too sick to even see it. It's, I mean, sometimes you just, you got to get to a point where you just want um, to get out of that room and, and you think, okay, what's the use? Cause I'll never get out of this room. The reality is it will get better. I promise you, I promise you it will get better. And if you're thinking, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're thinking to yourself, this guy's full of crap, I'm, I'm here to tell you that you don't want to take your own life. What you want is you want the pain to go away. And my physical pain was so bad, it got to a point where I'm like, okay, this pain will never, ever, ever go away. So when I tell you all, do I still have those thoughts? Yes, I do. But the reality is it pales in comparison to how bad that pain was. 
and now the reality is is it, it pales in comparison to watching my 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 buddy and, and his and his wife so sometimes if you can if you, you can get outside and try to help other people you know sometimes that's 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 the best way to help yourself and, and understanding that like you like you all talked about with this connection uh, nobody beats it alone nobody beats the invisible enemy alone my buddy went to west point went to stanford he was as successful as they come i mean just uh like literally everybody loved him i mean he was every room he went in he was just he was magnetic he was gregarious and you know just because somebody is looking all sunshine and rainbows on the outside that doesn't mean that they're not that they're not hurting on the inside and, and like you said michelle what's the harm in asking right what's the harm of saying hey thinking about you today you know you know just um I just, I, I don't see the harm in that. And what's the harm in just telling somebody you love them? I, I have somebody that Jenny and I work with and I won't use names, but she, she called me and she said she had a brother, but she was worried that telling him she loved him would enable him. And I said, listen, again, nobody's ever died from being told they love too much. Hey, I love you. People telling me that they never had a suicidal thought, but if something happened to you, I would be devastated. That was the most powerful for me. I, I need you. I, I can't imagine what I would do without you here. I've never gone through this. Sometimes like that was the most powerful thing for me to hear. Right. It's you ladies both know this because you have dealt with incredible loss. And OK, this this will be a horrible example, but I'll use it. Right. Uh, it's, this is America. I can say whatever I want. Um, I remember when my sister died. It, it was 2006. And I, I remember two conversations. One lady told my mother that she just lost her mother to cancer. Her mother was 93 years old. My sister was 32 years old. And I remember thinking like, oh my goodness. Like, so you learn what not to say, right? Now, oh yeah. a uh, couple hours later, and I, I, we were, oh, and you ladies both know this, we, were, we had to be there for seven or eight hours during the funeral services. And there was this other lady who was my mom's friend who was the loudest, you know, we all have that aunt or who's the most, you know, loud just like walking with a command voice walking with a megaphone always had something to say like this was that friend she walked up to my mom she grabbed her by the face she just shook her head and she moved on it was one of the most powerful experiences of my life she didn't say a word like this lady had the inability to, to not talk she was just always babbling always nervous energy and she grabbed my mom by the face and she just nodded her head up and down and that always stayed with me there's nothing i can say to you you lost your 32-year-old daughter. I can't imagine it, right? And she didn't even yeah. say she didn't say anything. And just leaving. She just nodded it there. her head and she moved on. Yeah. I oh, prefer that method. Those are the only two conversations <laughs> I remember. Babe, this has been so incredible to talk with you, to learn with you. I love how you said you've learned, we've learned. I hope our our listeners have learned. We're going to have to have you come back sometime for sure. When you're out here in Utah, let's sit down with, I can think of several groups of people that it could just be so helpful to have these conversations. Thank you for sharing your story and your heart with us. Thanks to our listeners for being with us for another episode. We hope that you've enjoyed what you've heard. We hope it's been helpful to you or maybe someone you know and love who might be struggling. As always, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating and a review, help us know how we can improve things and Get the message out there that there is connection to be found. We can be resilient together. If you or someone you know has a story you're willing to share, please reach out to us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient and Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their own lives. Have a great day. Have a great day.